Hi, I'm Rebecca Cohen. Are you sure? Let me start that again. Are you sure? I was reading your name and I'm like, wait a minute. You, I should po- Are you that. positive you are? Good. I mean, just, just checking, just checking. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rebecca Cohen. And I'm Maya Grants. And this is The Sauce, the culture and politics podcast where we drink cocktails and ruin the stuff you love. And today, I mean, we're ruining a whole genre that I don't even think I really understood. But a lot of people love it. A lot of people really do. We're going to (laughs) ruin Hallmark holiday movies. But specifically, because all of our holiday episodes are always, I have to say, very Christmas focused. This is true. And with the emergence of this anti-Semitic moment, we thought that this year we would look at the Hallmark Channel Hanukkah rom-coms. <laughs> yeah, all two of them. This was something, Maya, I do blame you for making me watch this movie. We watched Hanukkah on Rye. Oh, God. A Hallmark original. And, you know, there were there was another one, and I was like, last night, I was like, I'm going to just watch. I'm going to binge them. I'm going to watch lots of these movies. And after Hanukkah and Rye, I was like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Nope. No, that's that's enough. I get it. Not watching this. Mm-mm. Get it. Got okay. it. But we're going we're gonna to talk about it. We're going to contextualize it in the context of uh, Hallmark holiday romance movies as we understand them. Though we are yes. not experts on that topic. Not even a little bit. But before we get to that, let's check in. It is approaching the holidays. In fact, it is Hanukkah right now. It is. And it is the solstice. We are recording this on the solstice. Maya, how are you doing this solstice evening and what are you drinking? Okay, my whole family has COVID. Um, but you don't? <laughs> You're still testing negative? I'm still testing negative, which means I'm taking care of all of them. Oh. And um, today, because I had a lot of work to do, I was like, you know what? They're just going to be on screens all day. It just is what it is. It's I. Oh, it's fine. You don't have to feel guilty about that. Also, I just want to share with you that I fulfilled my parental destiny by showing my 12-year-old son the movie Die Hard for the holiday season. Which we all understand is a Christmas movie. That conversation is over. Yeah, we're not going to argue that. Um, And it was wonderful. And it really is, it it really is up there. We've discussed this before about um, Back to the Future. It is a tight movie. There is like every line of that movie, every beat of that movie has a purpose. It is unbelievable. There isn't a single beat in this movie that does not land at some point. Die Hard is almost a perfect script. Yes, it is. Listeners, if you haven't heard my analysis of Die Hard, it's actually probably tired by now because everyone has analyzed Die Hard. But, you know, I love it on the level of a story about white male reclaiming of masculinity in a world, you know, where his wife is working for like effeminate Japanese businessmen who are taking over the tall buildings and just to like reclaim and reoccupy the tall building on behalf of white masculinity. And I love all that about it, of course. Yes. But all of that aside, it is a phenomenal movie. It is so tightly scripted and directed. I mean, even to the point where just the throwaway line about giving 
his wife a Rolex for having done so well. And it is the loosening of the Rolex from her wrist that kills Gruber. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. just like. No, you see, I know that fits in thematically. It's not just. Absolutely. Like every absolutely. setup has a payoff. Every payoff was earlier set up. It's beautiful, but it also fits together thematically in that way. You know, she has to give up that uh, badge of her success in her career. Yes. So that her husband can triumph over the also somewhat effeminate, though still very dangerous, European. Yeah. It was very, very good uh, to show. And Zeev fucking Did loved he it. Love you it? know what else? He, he, lo- he loved it. He loved it. He was I'm engaged. Glad. He was drawn in, adored it. He also super loved Wednesday, but I'm going to get to that in a second. How are you doing? Oh, and I'm drinking uh I'm drinking Rowan's Creek bourbon. Oh, that's very nice. Yeah, I am. It's a very nice uh bourbon. So we'll get to Wednesday in a second. How are you doing? What are you drinking? I am doing fine. I got some cat health news this week that wasn't ideal. Um as listeners may recall, baby girl, our gray tabby had surgery in the spring. She had a sarcoma. That was removed. It was a very major surgery. She went on chemotherapy after that. We've been getting her checked every three months to see if there's been any spread. And on this last check last week, turns out she has a nodule in her lung. Uh, The cancer metastasized to her right lung. So it's impossible to say exactly what the prognosis is in terms of like how fast will it grow potentially could grow very slowly or hardly at all could could, you know who knows um we're gonna try to resume chemo see if that helps but it's very it's bad she's 16 she's had a long life we're trying to be accepting it's we love this cat an inappropriate amount like i don't know if you could be codependent with a cat but if if so we are we're gonna try to treasure our baby and enjoy as many months or years as we have left with her and try to make her as comfortable and happy as possible oh sweetie sorry i'm a debbie downer no i'm sorry i'm sorry it's hard i know i know you lost a cat not that long ago yeah it's been a year and a half and we i'm we're now starting i think the rest of the family's readier than me Hmm. uh to to get kittens but i think that that I'm st- starting to turn the corner of being ready. After Wonton died, we got Taquito like, I don't know, it was like not even a couple months later because we were so worried that baby girl couldn't be by herself and we were going right. on a trip. So we kind of rushed into getting Taquito and we don't regret it, but we recognize that that decision could have been deliberated a little bit longer. <laughs> But they love each other now. She tolerates him beautifully. So it all works out. <laughs> well, I just want to briefly say uh, my sulky 12-year-old son watched Wednesday and was just very compelled by it and ended up like we watched the first episode together and then he just binged the rest of it without telling me. And he fucking loved it. What do you think he liked about it? The sulky... Uh, sarcastic, uh, skeptical lead. Yeah. Now, I have to ask, number one, has he seen the Adams Family movies? He never has. You have to show him Adams Family values. I mean, the yes. first one's 
fine. It's good. And Christina Ricci is actually amazing in it. And she's like 10 years old. Uh-huh. But Adam's Family Values, you know, she absolutely steals that movie. She runs away with it. Okay. And if he okay. liked the show Wednesday, I think he would really appreciate that. Yes. I enjoyed the show Wednesday. And um, what I want to say is that I'm impressed with Tim Burton for going in a different direction with his uh, genius artist main character who hurts everyone around them because they're such a genius, but no one else can quite understand them. Uh, I, I think he he really stretched himself as an artist by making that a, a girl <laughs> instead of a boy this time. It's like he's really grown. All right. Oh, and you want to know what I'm drinking? Yes, I do. I forgot to mention that. Yes. Can you guess? It's themed toward the episode topic, toward the movie that we watched. Well, it's an alcoholic egg cream. Mm -hmm. That is exactly correct. Well, friends, if you want to talk to us about uh, Wednesday or Die Hard or Hallmark movies, join our Patreon, patreon.com slash sauce podcast. Join us on the sauce speakeasy. We got some beautiful feedback about our last episode about the white Lotus. Um, from Dr. Richard Silveira, who says that the second season has much smaller ambitions and so does it better. Hmm. So that's what he would like to share. If other people have opinions about that, we would like to hear it. Um, but I think now we're going to move from Wednesday, a show about somebody who like no one understands them to something that's all about everyone understanding it, about it being so fucking dumb that the dumbest fucking person can understand it. Okay, so this was my first ever Hallmark holiday romance movie, I'm pretty sure. Mine too! Mine yeah. too! Uh, I, I think I have a grasp of the gist of what they're like. So I want to talk, before we get into Hanukkah on Rice specifically, I, I just, I want to talk a little bit about this, this context of Hallmark Christmas movies and this idea of a Hallmark Hanukkah movie. Yes. I was reading an article on Vox. It was kind of like a little, um, a little rundown of like how the Hallmark Christmas movie came to be. And I kind of mm -hmm. skimmed it, so I can't really give you a good right. summary. But a few interesting things. Number one. The Hallmark Channel was originally started as a religious Christian channel that like got bought by Hallmark or got bought by whatever company owns Hallmark and turned into the Hallmark Channel. So that's an interesting okay. little tidbit as we're okay. talking about these films. And another thing is that the Hallmark Channel, it these movies are its, its bread and butter. They make all of their money off of the hallmark christmas movies and they make uh, this is what i didn't realize they make like 40 of them a year okay so this was something that i noticed when i was watching hanukkah on rye is that whenever there's like a commercial break mm -hmm. they have some ads sure but mostly they're advertising other hallmark holiday movies yeah, like, yeah. and so you're like oh this is this is a whole thing this is a whole fucking genre. I, I was Googling it because I wanted to hear people's breakdowns. I thought there's got to be some good analysis out there. And when you Google Hallmark Christmas movie or Hallmark holiday movies, a lot of what comes up is like 
the 10 best Hallmark Christmas movies of 2022. No. <laughs> oh my God. And that's how I realized they made 40 of them. Oh, this year. good Christ. Oh my God. Yeah. What do you think is the difference between a Hallmark movie and a Lifetime original movie? That's an interesting question. Generally, what you associate with the Lifetime original movie, holiday movies aside, what you associate with the Lifetime original movie more of like a a, a seedier, uh, more gritty trauma. Like, there's trauma a little more stuff. trauma a going trauma on. Yeah. There's some like yeah. Uh, there's a lot of crime. There's a lot of trauma. abusers. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. Lot yeah of conflict. Yeah. It's almost the opposite of what you associate. But I don't know if their holiday movies are like that. Right. I can't speak to that at all. Right. Um, what I can say is that when you read about or talk to people about the Hallmark holiday movies and why they like them, you hear certain themes. You hear certain things people say again and again. And a lot of what you hear is like, they're comforting. They're easy. They're feel good. Okay. I even read someone saying something like, you can leave the room and come back. You can go cook dinner. You're not going to like miss anything. <laughs> I think people do like. Wow. Okay. That they are formulaic. I think people like that they're formulaic. Yeah. And, you know, that that makes sense psychologically. People like what is familiar. And it, it's not just that they're formulaic, though. It's that they barely contain conflict, I think. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. it's, it's really. It's like, it's like just enough of a gesture to conflict so that you can feel like there's just something. Like, oh, we're supposed to have some kind of a conflict. Oh, let's just try a little gesture towards it's it. It's interesting to me. and. Listeners, we can use your help here because we haven't really watched any of these. No, we are very new to this. And I am basing this on reading about them. I'm talking to some people about them. So I have my impressions of them. Right. But um, it strikes me that in a lot of ways, they embody the opposite of what you would learn in any sort of uh, fiction 101 class or what they teach kids who are writing fiction stories, which is there has to be conflict. Everything yes. centers around conflict. And I feel like um, there's almost something, I'm not going to say postmodern here, but I'm going to say there's something that really goes against that grain and argues for a type of entertainment that isn't about that. It is not about tension and stakes and wanting an answer to a question because you know the answer to the question before the movie starts. Absolutely. Absolutely. Will they fall in love and get together and live happily ever after? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And there's, I think there is some pleasure in seeing exactly what you know is going to happen play out. It, but it's not just the predictability. It's the specificity of predictability around romance. It's right. a realm where you never have to worry about anyone being lonely Everyone's going to be loved and it's going to be fine. And you know it from the start and you just get to enjoy the pleasure of that. Yeah, I mean, in that respect, I guess what it made me think about uh, is romance novels. Uh Um, Sure. Where, again, it is formulaic. It is uh, easy. Uh, The the, um, impediments to the getting together are like, just constructed so that you can just be there for two hours or whatever like yeah yeah you know you need something to be happening um 
comforting, comforting. That's interesting because I feel like the overwhelming sort of win of heteronormativity is like that's the comfort. It's probably worth noting that up until a couple years ago, they were almost entirely white, these these Hallmark movies. In the past uh, three, four years, they've definitely brought in a lot of diversity and I understand there's some conversation to be had around that and this questions of like, are you honoring the cultural traditions and Christmas realities for different cultures? But I can't speak to any of that. But we can speak to how they attempted to do that with regard to Hanukkah. Exactly. Regarding the question of the Hallmark Hanukkah movie, this is also a very recent development. Apparently, they made one in 2012 called Hitched for the Holidays. Not strictly a Hanukkah movie. Hitched for the Holidays, it was one of those like, um, he needs to impress his boss with his knowledge of Christmas and she needs to show her family that she's not single, but, you know, he's Jewish. Like, you know, she's Christian, he's Jewish. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, It's basically a Christmas movie, but with like a little bit of, like there's a Jew in there. A little (laughs) twist. There was one from 2019 called Double Holiday. Similar idea, like, you know, she's Christian, he's Jewish, and they're both, like, planning the office holiday party, you know? Oh, okay, okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Both of those, again, you could categorize as Christmas movies, but they incorporated a Hanukkah element. Uh, But then last year, no, two years ago, 2020 was Love Lights Hanukkah! (laughs) Exclamation. Oh, my God. I love this plot, though. The woman is adopted and she gets a DNA test and finds out that she's half Jewish from the DNA test. So then she goes to find her birth family and discover her families. Does she fall in love with her brother? No, that is that's a (laughs) lifetime plot. That is not a that is not a Hallmark plot. You see, you're getting them confused. Uh, I look, I've not seen it. I I know that Ben Savage is in it. Love lights Hanukkah exclamation. You know, from Boy Meets World. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And I think, uh, I I like this idea, though, of we're going to venture into straight-up Hanukkah movies. You know, not a Hanukkah meets Christmas thing, but straight-up Hanukkah movie via a woman who doesn't know she's Jewish, learning that she has Jewish heritage, and then going and trying to get in touch with that heritage. And then after that, in 2021, they were able to make eight gifts of Hanukkah, just a straight-up Hanukkah romance a secret admirer is giving a woman gifts. I don't know. I don't know anything more now, about it than that. And and here's the thing. So they've only started making Hanukkah movies as of 2020. And then this year's... So the reason we're even doing this episode is because somebody tweeted out, this is not a drill. Hallmark is doing a Hanukkah holiday movie about dueling Jewish deli owners. And I was like, well, clearly... We have to watch this. Um, And I think I just thought it would be better than it was. But we'll get into that. We'll get into that in a second. So you have these comforting, formulaic, easy, you could leave the room for 10 minutes and not have actually missed anything. Originally, all very white, all very Christian, And they have very recently emerged into Hanukkah. Let's just quickly review the tropes so that we can just 
kind of knock out what we see because we said it's formulaic but like what's the formula right my question here is to what extent are we uh taking our christmas movie formula and just like putting jews in there i will give the movie credit it's not doing that it's it's being pretty fucking jewish it is so actually about jews and jews thinking about jew things that it was almost like a little heavy-handed like no jew is actually going to be talking about jewish stuff like that that. about being jewish that much but i i think i'm interested in the extent to which this represents the christmas genre and to what extent it's like different from that so i'm basing this on lists i found online like screen rant had a list of tropes in Hallmark okay. Christmas movies. And dictionary.com had an article called Words Found in Every Hallmark Holiday Movie. <laughs> Isn't that delightful? And so I was looking at these and I pulled out some because not all of them apply. Like apparently right. the dominant theme in these Christmas ones is like big city girl goes back to hometown or for some reason okay. is visiting a small town and like falls in love with the guy in a plaid shirt. Like that's sure, sure. the movie. Sure, sure. Okay. You're not going to have a small town. Like, this is Jews. It's Hanukkah. We're not going back to our hometown in the Midwest. It's just, no, that's but the not home, what's but he is returning to the hometown of Jews in America. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, it is, it is a going home story because he goes home. Yeah, no, to he's the going lower home. East side of Jewish America. He's going home to the home of all American Jews, the Lower East Side. Some things I didn't realize are common in these Hallmark movies. Matchmakers, or at least meddlers. See, I'm watching this Hanukkah movie, and the first scene is, you know, the parents and grandparents being like, when are you going to get married? You got to have kids. I'm like, wow, we're leaning right into that aspect of Judaism, right? (laughs) But it turns out... That meddling family members and friends and matchmaking as a theme are very common in these movies. Okay. So it, it, it lends itself perfectly to the plot of this, which has a literal, a literal matchmaker. They use a traditional matchmaker. Uh, some other things that you commonly see, the characters are usually engaged in um, sort of creative careers. Now, this is very rom-com in general, and we've talked about this. Like, everybody has a job that's like, I'm a crossword puzzle writer. I'm a food critic. I'm a food critic. So it's like creative. They they are a creative, which, by the way, I hate that as a noun so fucking much. Have we talked about this? Because I love the word creative as a noun. Oh, oh my God. It makes me sick. But... They they are creatives. They have kind of creative pursuits that somehow magically also pay the bills for a really nice place. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a standard key thing you see in romance movies. In these plots, there are always relationship misunderstandings. This movie hinges on unnecessary relationship misunderstandings. Yes, and I'm going to assume this is fairly common. In these movies, though it disappoints me, um, because I think there are great romantic comedies that don't rely on that as a device. But so many romances do rely on things like, like in this case, and we should, let's contextualize for listeners who I'm going to assume haven't watched this and I'm not going to wish it upon you to watch it. Please don't, don't. (laughs) The whole plot here is that... um, 
Molly's family owns a deli on the Lower East Side that's been going for 100 years, and they have great food. Jacob's family owns a deli in California that has a different model. They serve their Jewish classics, but also have a wide menu of other things because their goal is to make everyone feel at home and get what they most want. They're assimilationists. They just are there to assimilate. We're going to get into that. I want to get into the whole whole discourse about assimilation that's going on here, which I think is really interesting. Right. Yes. This is a, you know, it's a California modern nouveau way to do a Jewish deli, but uh, Jacob's family want to open a location, a second location on the Lower East Side. That's what brings him to New York and into contact with Molly, with, with whom he has a spark. At the same time, both of their grandmothers sign them up for a matchmaking service because due to the contrivances of the plot, they can't use J-Date. Right. It has Absolutely. to be the traditional way because it's better. And the matchmaker has that, you know, matches them up unbeknownst to the two of them. And makes them and makes them write letters to one another, but they can't use their actual real names. And also another thing is just like his family comes out to New York to open a Jewish deli on the Lower East Side, and they have no idea about the big deli on the lower, like the big last surviving deli. And like the other deli, who would yeah. come to the Lower East Side and not already know about Katz's? And it about, doesn't like, make any sense or they don't care. They think it's fine because they have a very different uh, right. approach. Uh, the point is the plot is essentially you got mail, right? They're, they're sending yes. letters, like physical written letters to each other, but they're not allowed to include any identifying details in the letters so that they will get to know each other on a deeper level and fall in Meanwhile, love. Meanwhile, are, they are also getting to know each other as he and she are discussing their competing deli situations. So here's, here's where we get to what we were just talking about, which is the whole relationship misunderstandings issue. This plot, in order to have any conflict, relies on things like number one, he meets her, gets to know her, but doesn't tell her anything about his family owns a deli and is going to open a competing deli like basically across the street. He doesn't tell her any of that. So, of course, when she finds out accidentally, it creates conflict. Okay. And that conflict is like resolved in a minute. Yeah. 30 seconds. Yeah. That was interesting. I thought, like, I wonder if that is a convention of the form that like right. tension like that is kept minimal. Yes. You don't really want to worry that this is actually something that's going to interfere with the success of their future relationship. Like, Or even beyond be that, an, you yeah. don't want interpersonal conflict. That's not why I'm yes. here. I get interpersonal yes. conflict at home. Yes. I'm here for people in cute knit hats yes. and, and nice lip gloss. Like, that's what I'm here for. So it's a conflict that's created by his strange behavior that makes no sense. Yes. Yes. And then after that, he finds out that she is the matchmaker match with him and the one that's sending him the anonymous letters. And he doesn't tell her. Like, he realizes it and keeps it from her for, like, a day and a half, which in, like, movie plotline is, like, three years. Yes. Because this takes place over Hanukkah. It's, like, seven days. But it's an entire lifetime. And it makes no sense. Like... No. It makes, it makes no sense. zero Be- sense. Because he finds out after the point at which 
they've gone from absolutely zero to a million in no time flat in their letters. Like they go from, he's like, I'm, I, I'm a guy who doesn't like ranch dressing from the bottle. And I think it's lucky when I find a penny on the street to, I think you might be my soulmate. Do you think yes. you're my soulmate? And she's like, yes, you're my yes. soulmate. Like, wow, yes. that, that happened. That escalated That was quickly. fast. That was really fast. And as soon as they, via their letters, decide that they're soulmates, he finds out that it's her. And he decides it would be cuter or better or somehow superior to withhold from her, even though yes. she's already mad at him for not telling her about the Dolly thing. But he thinks yeah. further withholding of information is a good idea. Like, it's a it's, good idea. Yeah. It's so much characters just making choices only to create plot complications. Yes. Well, just so that the movie can fill the allotted time. I mean, why does it have to be two hours? It was so long. It was so long. It was so boring. And then it's really... It felt like an eternity. Boring to watch a movie where the conflicts are not real conflicts mm -hmm. and that the characters don't behave in ways that people... Would behave. would behave like it just it's really it's a lot it's a lot her her deli listeners for context her deli being a hundred years old it is not a thriving tourist destination like say cats is rather they're struggling to break even at this point right. because they're old-fashioned their locations a little run down their customer base is aging but then also, they only explicitly say that three quarters of the way through the movie. They, yeah. They do. They do. They're like, it's sort of hinted at, but it's not like, we're not opening with like, here's a conflict. Here's a problem. This is a person in a situation. In the first scene, they're getting ready for Hanukkah. And they're like, some years we make money off of Hanukkah. Some, some years we break even. This year we're... We're not even going to break even. Like, they say that in the first scene. It's right there. But it's not, there's never any real tension around it. Like, no. I, I'm sorry, I don't believe that their, their almost 30-year-old daughter who they're handing off the business to would not at that point, A, know the numbers, and B, have set up social media for the family. Right. Well, they they won't allow her to. They're against doing no. anything new. But I then get, if they no, don't... It's all contrived. That's the point. That's, that's the thing. The like, point. everything is so contrived. If they were the kind of people who would not allow her to do anything, then at that point, she would be incredibly suffocated by her family. Like, there right. are all of these things where it's like, if these are the given circumstances, that's going to lead to certain conflicts, which set up, you know, a story. A story. No, there's no... Con everything... All the rough edges are sanded down to nothing. It's all smooth, smooth, smooth. I mean, similarly, he's concerned because he really likes her and cares about her, but his family wants him to open this restaurant that will be competition with her, and she definitely doesn't want that. Yes. He doesn't call them. He doesn't talk to them about it. He just sort of delays signing the lease on the rental space until his parents rather than calling him and being like what's going on show up because yeah. it's a, because it's a romance movie that's what has to happen it's like these weird complications that don't need to exist why would his grandmother tell him 
we must open a location on the Lower East Side. This is extremely important to me. And he's like, why? And she's like, that's not important right now. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you why until the third act. I'm not going to tell you why until the very end. Like, what? Who does that? (laughs) Well, also, and this is a moment where I feel like we would be really remiss in not bringing up the greatest Jewish Lower East Side rom-com of all time, Crossing Crossing Delancey. Delancey. Yeah. Crossing Delancey has many of these themes, but it's a real movie with real conflict. Like, if you're going to make a movie about Jews, the parents have to be pushy and overbearing, which leads to a lot of, like, tension and leads to children who are neurotic like that's the whole thing about a jew how can you have a jewish movie without neurotic children children who are made neurotic by the overbearing intensity of their fucking parents these children are made stable and grounded by their deep connection to their family traditions so like in that way I think it's definitely more Hallmark movie than Jewish yes. movie. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. But that's also part of the contrivance. No, it totally is. Like, even when she's like, oh, yeah, relationships never work because I always stay in relationships way too long. That would, if this was going to be a real movie, lead to the possibility of like longtime boyfriends who kind of show up, who everybody's kind of sick of seeing. Like... You know, like there are things you could do here with some of this information, but it's just there to hang out enough. There just have to be enough things to get in the way to just sort of like fill the time, but never make you feel any serious tension or or concern about the outcome that you know is inevitable. Yes. Uh, Some other ways that this movie is, strikes me as being very hallmark. Yes. Um, Apparently, holiday-based competitions are a key trope <laughs> in these movies. Oh, my God. I thought that was hilarious when I read that because this movie has a latka cooking competition as really the climax of the movie. Yes. Uh, someone singing a holiday song is an element that is standard, and this movie has Lisa Loeb randomly showing up with a guitar singing a Hanukkah song. Yep. Um, apparently... Hallmark Christmas movies all feature a business that's central to the plot. Uh, small businesses. Because what's really, it's only about heteronormative marriage as a key for the structural survival of business. Like, that's it. That's it. Like, but I think marriage. It's small business specifically, like, small business suggests a lot of things. Like, first of all, it's an independence from like corporate oligarchy. Yes. Yes. And apparently it's not uncommon for the plot to be centered around like the corporate the big business want comes to come in and destroy want to buy your, it. Yeah, yeah. Your yeah. adorable ornament shop or whatever the fuck it would be. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So that sort of pitting of the the small business against big business and, and corporatism, but also the I don't know. There's something about like you as a romantic comedy lead cannot be a person who just has a job. You can't just have a job and a boss where you work for someone. You have to be doing your own thing. And that means running your own business. Right. 
Well, this is back to the creative. And and somehow that's intrinsic to it. Crafty, creative. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. that's the whole thing, I mean, of which I'll never forget that Alison uh, Silverman was telling us about, you know, Tina Fey and how like every woman lead has to be good at her job. Like that that's a right. really important thing. Like, but is she good at her job? Like, is that <laughs> like, that's really, really important. Like Absolutely. you can't have somebody who's just working their job and then going home and who gives a shit like they have to have a business and they're really good at it they're the best tinsel making present wrapping right macaron no, no, baking a gingerbread house no there's one with Lacey chabert where she makes this like incredibly elaborate gingerbread house for a competition yeah sure i want to say on the dictionary.com list of words Several of the things we've already talked about are mentioned. Competition, small business, matchmaker. Also, one of the words is reunion. Ah. Which uh-huh, is, uh-huh. Uh-huh, right? It's the, <laughs> the crux of the climax of this movie is the reunion of two families who didn't realize they were connected via yes. their great-grandmothers who were best friends specifically on the boat over to the United States. And family recipe. Oh, no, come on. I'm serious. Family (laughs) recipe is on the dictionary.com list of words you find in every Hallmark movie. And listeners who I really dearly and sincerely hope have not watched Hanukkah on Rye. Please don't. Please don't. the, The big climax the thing that happens in the end is they have this latka cooking competition discover that their latkes taste identical and realize they their family recipes are the same recipe and hence the reunion because the grandmothers the great grandmothers shared their recipes as children on the boat coming across in the 19 teens or whatever oh god i love that even just i I think that's amazing (laughs) i love it but I, I just thought that was, I don't know. It makes me think, oh, look, a lot of these tropes that uh, are already floating around in these, like, I fell in love with a guy and he's Santa's son, you know, whatever right, movies. Right, right, A lot of these tropes actually work very nicely in a Jewish context. You got matchmaker, right. you got family recipe, like it all kind of, it, it translates. There's nobody in a buffalo plaid shirt, obviously. We're talking about Jewish people, but I think it was reasonably artful <laughs> the way that they were able to to stick with the forms yes. that are expected in yes. a very explicitly Christmas movie. And, that, and it's worth noting one of the things that people say about these Hallmark Christmas movies is that they're not just romance movies that are incidentally Christmas. They're not like a Christmas background and the movie otherwise is unrelated. These movies are about Christmas. And so like, well, to be able to take that and translate it into a non-Christmas holiday. It's tricky. It's tricky. And they are there for every fucking night of Hanukkah singing the prayer every fucking (laughs) night. (laughs) But also I feel like this idea of like the Christmas spirit, there is something very bizarre about this time of year. For sure. And I think that with all of this and with going home and with holidays and with all of that, this is a time of year that feels like an alternate portal. All work slows down or shuts down. Even every year, Ben is like, oh, I'm going to have to stay because I have all this work to do. And every year it's like, 
nobody's at fucking work, dude. Like there's, you might, you might tell yourself that things are still going on, but they're not. Everybody's sort of checked out. The days are really short. It's cold. And the energy, everybody's energy kind of dives down. You're seeing your family. You're kind of killing time together because nothing's open. It's an alternate portal into a different time when all the normal rules are suspended, which is why things like love can happen. Because like the right. normal rules don't apply. Your big lawyer job that keeps you away from your hometown no, it's like it's everybody's on vacation. So you're stuck going back to your hometown and you don't have anything to distract you from the love that is waiting. But it's also weird because, I mean, Hanukkah is not a big deal holiday. I'm sorry, guys. Like I've been dealing with this with my six-year-old daughter who went from always wishing that we celebrated Christmas to being like, there's not enough representation. Like she's like, <laughs> Really, it's because she still wants Christmas, but she realizes that we are not Christian, that we are not going to celebrate it. So now she's like mad about representation. She's demanding Hanukkah presents and like it's a whole thing going on at home. I, and I keep being like, Hanukkah is not that important of a holiday. It's not. And it happens during winter and Hanukkah became a bigger holiday because it's around the same time as Christmas. And so in America, they're like, oh, let's give the kids a replacement and then they'll get presents and whatever. But it's not a gift giving holiday anyway. This is something I want to talk about, but let's let's talk about this in the next segment, because okay. I want to get into this, the ways that Hanukkah is different from Christmas and the implications for that in terms of Hanukkah movies. Maya, you, you make a very important point which is that Hanukkah is not Jewish Christmas. No. <laughs> Hanukkah is a holiday that, frankly, I think most American Jews wouldn't celebrate if it didn't happen to fall in December, typically, and, you know, correspond with Christmas on the calendar. But it does have this outsized importance in American Jewish life because of that. When all it is, it's not even a religious holiday. It's a commemoration and isn't it interesting that it's a commemoration of a battle that happened because the reigning Goyish elite did not want Jews to be allowed to celebrate their heathenist Jewish, you know, rituals. Specifically, I mean, it's about the Hellenistic Assyrian regime. You know, they 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 wanted to enforce worship of Greek gods and yes. the adoption of this culture. And they desecrated the Jewish temple. It's interesting, actually, now that I think about it, that it's essentially a story about anti-assimilation. Yes, And this is. movie is about anti-assimilation in a lot of ways. Even and though the movie is also about assimilation. I know, because I know. any kind of use of Hanukkah in this Christmas way is about assimilation. What a fascinating irony, right? Because Hanukkah is essentially a militant. It's a celebration of a militant resistance against assimilation. Yes. A militant Jewish resistance. And yet, the reason that anyone even celebrates it is it's some sort of way to be part of this like holiday season without yes. having to actually celebrate Christmas. So it's an assimilationist impulse. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting. Let's put that aside for, we're going to put a pin in that because that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. But I want to talk sort of generally about Jews and Christmas movies and Hanukkah okay. movies. I mean, the, you know, I was thinking about 
the Hallmark Christmas movie and Christmas movies in general. And one of the thoughts I had was, first of all, Christmas has been in the movies since the movies have existed. Yes. Like some of the earliest silent films were about Christmas themes. This has always been a very popular topic for film. And also, a lot of these movies, Hallmark and otherwise, are probably made by Jews. Yes. And that's sort of interesting. Like there's a whole thing which we kind of talked about in our episode about Christmas songs. And the extent to which Jews have created Christmas as we know it. Absolutely. Absolutely. But how is it that Jews run Hollywood? Like, we're being real, people. Let's just, let's take For off guys, all the masks and just yeah. be real. We let's know be it. real. We We've been true. running Hollywood. You know what, guys? Kanye is right. I just want you to know that, you guys. You know what? Kernel of truth. Kernel of truth. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many Jews in Hollywood. They have an outsized influence relative <gasps> to their proportion of the general population and yet hanukkah movies barely exist christmas movies are are innumerable but hanukkah movies there's like eight crazy nights and the rugrats movies are both cartoons they're for kids and can you name another hanukkah movie no i cannot because also hanukkah like what do you do during hanukkah like we discussed this on our very brilliant episode last year about the Christmas spirit, that Christmas seems to bring up a lot of feelings for people about, like, what is the meaning of of my life? What is the meaning of my world? It's Again, it's this alternate portal time, reality. You're supposed to be kind when you're not expected to be kind for the rest of the year. You're supposed to be generous. So it's this time of this kind of alternate site of being. And that's not Hanukkah for Jews. Yeah. It's not this alternate portal time where everything changes. If there was one, if we were saying like what holiday a year in the Jewish holiday calendar is like that, it's Yom like Kippur. Yom Kippur because that's the time where you assess what you are yeah. or it's right. even like Sukkot because you were like sitting outside you're out in the structure outside every day those are those are portal creators but they're not portal creators that are based around like giving presents and putting up twinkly lights yeah and I would say that Christmas is so rich in iconography and motifs and there's just this huge basket you can pull out from if you want to make a movie or write a song or whatever. Christmas is about bells and twinkly lights. It's about goodwill toward man and peace on earth. It's about gift giving. It's about Santa Claus is coming to town. It's about snow. And it's baby, about it's little baby outside. Jesus. It's, it's also about, about little Jesus baby Jesus. And the Lord. It's about, there's all these different things. It's, there's so many different ways you can go about incorporating Christmas and thinking about Christmas and so much you can draw from. I mean, just even the number of Santa movies alone. Right? The number of Rudolph the Red Noser. I mean, they're like elf yeah, movies. Yeah, and that's just one small corner of it. That's just yeah. that's just Santa and his reindeer right there. And that's like one piece of it. Yeah. There there's just this sort of infinite cache of stories and ideas to draw from and inspiration to draw from. Yes. From when it comes to Christmas. 
And this makes me say, like, okay, what is Hanukkah about? What are the themes and motifs and inspirations of Hanukkah? Hanukkah, like we were just saying, is about, like, at its core, it's about <laughs> militant resistance to assimilation. It's about preserving your Jewish identity in the face of authoritarian attempts to force you to conform to a different way of being. So let's bring this back to Hanukkah on Rye. Okay. Yes. Yes. So we have this story about the old deli that's not changing. So it's worrying about closing. And the new deli that is assimilating but has lost all of its character, but it is expanding. And about a representative from each of these approaches falling in love. Mm-hmm. I thought it was very interesting that the movie was barely coding its discourse about assimilation. Oh, yeah. It was contrasting these two different approaches to Delhi. Yep. And the characters are pretty clear about the reasons behind why they believe in their approach to Delhi. Yes. It's not just like, I, I think Jewish traditional foods are great, or this is how my family's always done it. It's very specifically like, she says... When people came here in the turn of the century and they lived in the tenements and their lives were shit, the deli was the place where they could go and people spoke their language That's right. and knew their traditions and blah, blah, blah. Like it's very directly talking about the Jewish immigrant experience and the importance of having a community of people like you and how the traditional Jewish deli represents all of that. Yes. The West Coast family have this other approach where, number one, they think that the restaurant has to keep up with the times. Or, right. You know, it's never going to survive. Right. But also they have this expansive idea of melting pot. Yes. This expansive idea of there's all kinds of people here. It's not just Jews and we want to be accommodating to everybody. That's right. You can't get more clearly assimilationist in nature than that. And they position, the movie positions her deli as struggling. Yes. So we're to understand that this hewing to tradition is not going to last. It's not going to lead to success in the long That's run. That's right. That's right. Whereas his family's deli from the West Coast that serves poutine and lasagna and whatever else, they're on such solid footing, they're going to open a new location all the way in New York. So they're apparently doing a lot better. Right. I thought it was very interesting that she makes it so she puts it so out there on the table that like our approach to Delhi is a connection to Jewish tradition. Yes. And to abandon this or change this would be to lose something intrinsic in our identity. Yep. But then he's also right. The business is not going to last and she is able to start making moves to revitalize the business by introducing things like Chinese food on Christmas night. Right. Or or these events, events, yeah, events, events for people. Yeah. 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 Whatever. Whatever. It's just there to fill plot. But the point is, I'm watching this whole thing thinking, God, obviously it's going to culminate with some kind of let's open a restaurant together that's a compromise of these things, right? Right. Because that's how these movies end. And yes. lo and behold, it it does end that way, which is like satisfying, I guess, on a romance level, but not at all on the Jewish deli level. No, because 
you're not you're not resolving it in any way. It does. It does have this great conversation going with Fiddler on the Roof. Okay. The characters talk about Fiddler Fiddler on the Roof and they compare their situation to Fiddler on the Roof. There's no, they're not running away from the fact that they've made a movie about a like a matchmaker and that they're Jews and that we are having an argument about tradition versus modernizing and assimilating, which is what Fiddler on the Roof is about. And ultimately, where does Fiddler land on this? Tevia understands that he has to change with the times and that he has to be willing to be flexible around tradition. But, you know, the movie opens with the song Tradition and yeah. the idea that, or the, and the play, obviously, the stage play opens with the song Tradition and the idea that tradition is what grounds the Jewish people and allows them to survive. It balances them so that they're not shaky like a fiddler on a roof. And yet, Tevye is always willing to be flexible with tradition until what? Until his daughter... Uh-huh. is going to get married to a goy. To a non-Jew. Yeah. He says, if I bend that far, I will break. Yeah. And that's yeah. the line. He can't cross that line. And I feel like that's what's underpinning the whole conversation around assimilation in this movie. Did it's I tell this you sort about this, like, this, what? this wedding gift that I got? We got this wedding gift. We got a lot of Judaica, you know? <laughs> And because yeah, yeah. uh, I was marrying a non-Jew <laughs> and we got this Lucite Hanukkiah where each well of the Hanukkiah had a laser etched design of something Jewish, like a star of David or a, or a flag of Israel. And one of the wells has this laser etched fiddler on a roof. <laughs> <laughs> is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. That's where I break. That's really yeah, it. exactly. You're like, if I bend that far, it will break. <laughs> this is going in the garbage. Um, yeah, but like, think about how foundational to American Jewish identity Fiddler on the Roof is. Or okay, or okay, but isn't that interesting? Again, with this movie, you could have the tension of like a lead character who only wants to have sex with non-Jews. You know what I mean? Oh, like no, you no, could no, totally can't put that much tension in there. Right. They, but that... like, there's tension about whether you put the capers on top of the locks or okay. under the locks, which I is know. ridiculous. The who puts their capers on top to of the locks? They're I just going to roll, roll off. off. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it really is this thing where it's like they have all of these little Jewish, Jewishy moments. You have all of these Jewish things, but any of the real tensions about what makes Jewish life in America happen are not there. And you could have them. It would be possible to do so. So they talk about Fiddler on the Roof, but they only talk about assimilation in the terms of Jewish delis, not in terms yeah. of like actual lives or who they yeah, partner but you with. You have to admit, you have to, the, the plot around the delis was way more interesting than the romance plot. Yes, absolutely. Like I was like, this movie yeah. is not about their romance. That's not even a thing. It, it's about their competing visions for a deli. And 
it's interesting where it lands on this because she gives him the spiel about how important Lower East Side delis are to her people's history. And he's like, oh, I don't know. My people went straight to California from Europe. But then what does he find out? He discovers that, in fact, they did have roots on the Lower East Side. His family were there, and it's very important to them. And there is this implication of, like, all Jews are from the Lower East Side. <laughs> all Jews have roots on the Lower East Side. Like, oh, yeah. You went to Ellis Island, and then you went to the Lower East Side, and then you could go to any other city if you, if exactly. you could. If you could leave. And uh. then ultimately, the resolution to this, I want to say, before we get to the resolution, very briefly, that an hour and 90 minutes or whatever into it, <laughs> the two grandmothers, the bubbies, right, go to the matchmaker to complain because they're so upset that this hasn't worked out. And they meet each other and realize that they own competing delis and are angry. And I'm like, I wish this is what the movie was. This, the, the, for like a second, it lights up. And I'm like, this is a good story. Why not have the two competing deli bubbies and their kids? It's like a Romeo and Juliet thing. They can't be together <gasps> yeah. because they're from rival yeah. deli families. Yeah. Or something oh, like Oh, that could have been so good. The meet cute between the bubbies was like the highlight of the movie to me. And it was like an hour and 50 minutes in. Totally. Like, it should have been in the first act. Anyway, it culminates in. The whole lack of competition and the discovery that, in fact, their families are so deeply connected. And here's your Hanukkah miracle. Finally, finally, after two hours, I am like, where's the magic? Where's the miracle? Because Hanukkah is supposed to be about miracles. And I thought these movies were supposed to be about that shit. Where's the miracle? And, you know, the big miracle is that these families were connected in this unknown way i'm like oh it's not a terrible payoff it's not it wasn't worth two hours of this but the resolution of the actual conflict of the movie is that jews are all related right when the bubby take when the grandma takes her recipe out of her purse i'm like oh my god she's going to take out her family recipe and the other bubby is going to be like, that's my family recipe. You're going to be right. like, oh, my God, they're cousins. Yes. Yes. <laughs> they're all I related. Totally, they're related <laughs> because they are all related. I knew it wasn't going to be that. No. But like that was implied, even though they're not. Oh, they're their mothers. The great grandmothers were best friends on the boat. And like who, who, what Jew in America knows the name of the boat their grandmother came over on? Nobody knows this. How is this possible? Is this a thing? But it's also like, again, it's trying to do that thing where they keep it so white and yet they try to make it really ethnic as if there hasn't been a hundred years of various kinds of Jewish culture in America. Like right, a lot right, has right. happened since we got off the boats. And as a LA living Jew, there is a whole Jewish culture here in LA. There are many Jewish. Do you know how many bakeries I can go to within a mile and a half of my house to get souvganiot in? Yeah, but real yeah, souvganiot. Be honest though, they're not. They're not as good as New York Delis. No, that's not true. They're not as good. They. It's not. You can't. True. Their bagels are not as good because the water. I know about the bagels. The souvganiot. <laughs> 
are really fucking good. You okay, but so I've got jelly donuts and anybody can make a good jelly donut. All right. We're just going to have to go to, we're going to go to Langer's when you're here next. I'd so, be happy to go to Langer's. But I just, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I was expecting a lot more and I thought it was going to be like so bad. It was good and like really, and no, I found it. No, it wasn't. It, it wasn't even bad enough it to be so bad. It wasn't bad enough to be good. It was, it was just, just mostly boring. It was boring, mediocre, uh, offensive in how inoffensive it was. I found it offensively inoffensive. I want to say two things. Yes. That maybe, maybe will help you be slightly offended by it. Find it, find it actually slightly offensive. <laughs> Number one. Yes. The symbol of their love match. The physical symbol. <laughs> what, is the, what is it? What is the symbol of their love match? It's a penny. A penny. Yeah, right? He, She finds a penny, a good luck penny, and gives it to him via letter, and he gives it back to her. And then, I thought that was very amusing. The Jewish people falling in love is symbolized by a penny. Ugh. Okay. And there's a line at the end, because as they're writing their letters to each other via the matchmaker, they're not supposed to include any identifying details, so they use the pseudonyms Right. Beth and David. Right. And it has to be revealed by the end that that's actually Molly and Jacob. And as they're finally reconciling and realizing after a week of knowing each other that they are soulmates and going to be together forever, he says, it doesn't matter if we're Beth and David or Molly and Jacob. And to me, that line sounded like it sounded like saying, it doesn't matter if we're Re Rebecca and David or Rachel and you know your jewish name here it was just sort of like whatever we're just jews. whatever we're, we're just interchangeable we're just jews we're, <laughs> we're interchangeable widgets just like every one of these fucking movies yeah that's fair except very specifically jewish names yes yes so it's like we are yes. the interchangeable jewish yes. widgets version of this yes Listeners, we need to hear from you, especially if you are someone who watches and enjoys these Hallmark holiday movies. What am I missing? Help. I'm, I will hear you. Just tell I know. me. I want to know. And I want to know if we got any of it right. Should I have should wrong. I have had something to drink? Should I have been on I drugs? Mean, I think like, clearly <laughs> both. I'd be interested to know what you, listeners, think is the appeal of these movies, if you are more familiar with them than we are, because we are speculating based on a very limited knowledge base. Also, if you have a good plot idea for a Passover romance movie, <laughs> we will accept your treatment. I also really think if you have the good idea for the Yom Kippur atonement romance like I really I mean I, that'd be a tough but one. I think that sort of community of acknowledgement of our failure as a people right, leading right. to the like that's that's the beginning what a perfect of perfect context for a romance <laughs> I think so it could be kind of like a like a hot sex thriller you know they're atoning they're really raw they both divorced their spat. They end again, up in some again, cheap motel. You're I, you're in the Lifetime movie mindset. <laughs> you're thinking about Lifetime movies, not Hallmark. It's just not your brand. It is really. I think I realize the extent to which it is a hundred percent 
not my brand. And if it is your brand and you can explain to me why, I really want to hear it and I will listen without judgment. All right. Well, to tell us about what's so great about Hallmark movies or why you hate them, first of all, you can email us. We are saucepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us at saucepodcast on all of the socials. And that includes Mastodon, where we are sauce podcast at nerdculture.de. There you go. The German nerds. And of course, the best way of all to reach us is if you go to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash sauce podcast. Members at every level can join the sauce speakeasy, which is our discord chat. And we can talk about all this stuff. And anything else you want to talk about, you should come check it out and see the different membership levels. All right. You can find me at Maya Garantz anywhere you are looking for Maya Garantz's, including Mastodon. I am at toad.social. But not Twitter. No, I'm parked <laughs> there. I'm parked there, but I'm not, oh, I'm not there you anymore. you still have your account there. Yeah. Okay. I have 19 social medias now. You can find me on Twitter, Hive, Post... Uh, fucking Mastodon. Take your pick. I'm on all of them. I'm on. I am at Gynostar on every goddamn platform. And um, we look forward to hearing from you. All right, friends. Adios, amigos. Mm-hmm.